1: What's up, everyone? It's Noah Daniels, and we're here for another episode of The Real Hauntings Podcast. On this episode, I have a special guest host. It's Jules, aka The Hex Baby. You remember her on from a couple weeks ago. Her and her partner have a really cool, crazy collective of haunted items in their home, and she told us about some investigations that she'd been doing with um, Becky, my bloody Galentine, and we're super excited to get her back on. Jules, thank you so much for co-hosting this episode with me.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me again.
1: It's a pleasure absolutely and one of our most requested guests to get back on the podcast Connor is here Um, you all know Connor as the haunted historian on Instagram one of the few verified accounts in our spooky space so it's always fun to get to uh, interact with Connor and he brought along Josh um, as well and Josh and Connor have started a podcast through the haunted historian and if you haven't checked that out yet make sure you do it's fairly new and they've got great content and I mean, look, everything they do is great. So if you haven't checked it out, what are you doing? Get out there, give them a five-star review and rating. And yeah, guys, welcome to the podcast.
3: Yeah,
4: thanks for having us back
1: on.
3: Well, Thanks for having me back on. Yes, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be on for a first time. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Connor, last time you were on, you shared a story that was pretty riveting. Um, it was fairly cinematic. I still think about you leaned up against that door in that abandoned building with all the, uh, paranormal chaos going on outside and you cocking and loading your gun for whatever may come through that door. Uh, such a crazy story. I'm curious now your other stories you're going to share, do they also involve guns? Did you go back to Texas? Did you have to shoot any ghost? you know what that's uh the one
4: and only investigation I've done to date in the state of Texas so i'm I'm really hoping that the uh, the openings of these investigations don't feature any more firearms but uh you know it's I haven't done anything too extensive down there who knows what the rest of their crowd is like
1: and before we get too far in I would love to know how you and Josh know each other
4: yeah uh, you know I connected with Josh uh, it's got to be um pretty darn near or at least uh maybe even a bit over a year ago. Uh, He comes from the production space, and he can uh, talk all about that. But I reached out to him because I am very technologically challenged for anything that requires technology or production or editing or anything like that. Really, my talents end at the writing and the storytelling, and that's where his kind of just began uh, and so we kind of partnered through a shared interest in the paranormal myself being in Arizona uh, he's out in uh, Wisconsin and uh, we kind of just hit it off from a shared interest in our own Ghost Hansons College uh, and his ability to help out in bringing the Haunted Historian podcast to life uh, as well as a number of other projects that will be debuting over the course of the coming year.
1: Awesome, and Josh, something we'd like to find out is where our guests fall on what we call the Believo meter. Zero meaning you don't believe in ghosts, and ten ghosts are absolutely real. Where do you fall on that scale? I mean, I have to be a ten. Like I, I've been touched,
3: I've been spoken to, I've uh, I've, I've seen things. You know, I've have documented EVPs and videos and photos. So, uh, I, yeah, I just have to say I'm a ten on that.
1: Nice, nice. And Jules, have you had any weird, spooky stuff happen since we last spoke to you? I know it hasn't been very long, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask.
2: I mean, yes, we, I had an experience where my partner who is probably a one on the spectrum was all I told him a story and he was like, you're not going to believe this. But I saw the same thing and I didn't want to tell you because I knew you'd freak out because I'm like a six or seven, I guess. You know, like there's enough for me to believe that there's something, but I've never been just, you know, like nothing has made me go, wow, there's something on the other side. So, uh, yeah, we both saw something in our museum while there was other people there the other night.
1: Was it like a full figured apparition or what did y'all see?
2: Well, we both saw something around the same height it was dark it kind of you know how uh, shadow people look it was something similar to that um I would say it's about our hip height and it kind of just flashed across us um in the same direction we saw it at the same time so I don't know it could have been but I'm one of those people where I'm like all right log that in the book we'll try again at another date you know
1: Well, and you know, Connor and Josh obviously haven't been to y'all's. I mean, it's basically a haunted museum. Just for their,
2: I would, you're welcome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just for their information, how many items do you think are in y'all's collection?
2: Over 300 at this point. There's stuff that's, that we can't even display. You have to think it's it's our it's our basement that's been converted into a museum and gallery space, essentially. Um, and there's many things we can't even put up. There's a lot of things that we loan out to people who want to have installations in their tattoo shops and whatnot. My partner's a tattoo artist and he collides the two universes. So I'd say over, over 300 items. He's got over 150 Ouija boards. Most of them are handmade. So, you know, it's quite a number. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, uh, it's no, no surprise that you and Becky have become friends with, uh, as much stuff as she collects as well. Well, Connor and Josh, I would love to know what, uh, story or stories y'all be sharing with us tonight. Connor, I I guess I'll let you take the the wheel on this one. Not to just (laughs) drop it in your lap, but
3: I did. I didn't
4: want to monopolize the conversation from Josh there. So I was going to give him the chance to say it, you know, um, An investigation that we actually are going to be featuring for a somewhat upcoming episode of our podcast is one that I'm actually heading off to about uh, two or three hours after this recording. Uh, It's out here in the Phoenix area. Uh, I I don't know if you guys have ever been out or researched any of the haunts out here in Arizona, but as you can imagine, all patches of civilization out here in the Southwest are few and far between. It's not... It's not the small sprawling fields and towns and all that good stuff that I grew up with uh, back out in Ohio. You leave Phoenix, you leave Tucson, you leave Flagstaff, anything like that, it is rock and sand for hours on it until you get to the the next piece of area. And I say that because it really leaves so few places in existence for there to really be those historic structures that have the potential for a haunting. So those that do exist in Arizona are very popular, but very hard to get into because no one's just buying them out and and using them for tours. They're usually uh, have been reconverted and retrofitted into some new existence. The one that I'll be going to later this evening um, for the very first time for a full-scale investigation, and it's now... 122-year history it is called Casey Moore's Oyster House. Uh, it was built as a home back in 1910. Uh, like, I, like I said, it's a private residence, husband and wife. They both passed away inside the home and following that, and it's still being, you know, the era of Arizona being the Wild West in many ways, it was transitioned into a bordello and, you know, there's, Not too much documentation as to what took place inside of um, a business like that back in the the desert in the early uh, 20th century. But given the history behind many similar structures all throughout the region, you can unfortunately make a pretty gloomy assumption as to what the fate was for many people inside of there and obviously what kind of illicit activity took place inside of there.
1: So, I mean, Connor, I obviously know what a bordello is, but for our audience that may not know, can you tell them?
4: The best way to put it, uh, it's not the most tasteful way to put it, but, you know, it's a place that married men, that workers, that a lot of lesser characters came to and purchased a lady of the night for a night. And in many situations for uh, those women, unfortunately, their night, in many instances, ended in their killing, in their murder, as was the situation in many, like I said, such institutions all throughout the state of Arizona and the Southwest. So, as you can imagine, that is a large, uh, sumptuous figure for uh, what a lot of people are accounting for the haunting of the restaurant today. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the staff, you know, they're reporting everything from glasses and silverware flying off the table to the married couple that initially lived there in the early 1900s. They've been seen actually dancing in the upstairs uh, floor of the home uh, to just darkened apparitions and misty looking figures roaming about the kitchen. It's really kind of just a a hive and a hotspot. It's one of, it's been listed on a number of outlets as being one of the most haunted restaurants uh, slash bars in all of the United States. And again, since it's been somewhat relatively renovated into this now modern Irish pub, nobody's really ever had the chance to step foot and get in there. So. Up till now, it's really just been stories and some op-ed write-ups in local periodicals and roundups on national media here and there. But we're really excited because this is gonna be the first time that actual equipment has been brought in to see what activity you can document, you could share, that you can, sh- uh, well, I, I guess the primary aim here is prove something's there put a name, put a reasoning to the activity for the owners, and possibly turn this into a repeat investigation, not just for the Haunted Historian team, but for other teams to continue coming in. It's one of the most historic structures in Phoenix and nationally recognized for its supernatural occurrences. I think it certainly merits having its story told and finally allowing the spirits decided there to voice their concerns or why they're staying there, again, after 122 years.
1: So respectable. Yeah, absolutely. So will you be spending the night in there or will you just spending a certain amount of time and then leaving?
4: I, I will just be there uh, until the early hours of the morning, right around uh, 1 to 2 a.m. You know, I've, uh, I've been working to get inside of there now for a few years, ever since I moved out to Phoenix. And it's been really difficult. I really pushed for an overnight to stay all evening. And they are gracious enough, the owner that is, uh, allowing me to stay shortly to kind of push the investigation into the after hours. But um, understandably, this not being something that they dabble in. They didn't want to just hand the keys and the, uh, the green light over to um, an investigator who says, I'm just looking for ghosts. Let me into your building sure. all night. And I promise nothing will be missing in the morning. so that's why i'm saying hopefully you build the relationship
1: in an event like that where you're going into a place uh, that has not been exposed to very much paranormal research will you try to have you know that owner and some of the staff onto your podcast while you talk about the results or will you just take the results straight to the podcast or what is usually your philosophy with something like that
4: For this particular investigation, uh, we're going to be recording audio and video with uh, some staff members and the manager who's been there for almost this entire operation to both get a glimpse of their take on the location's history, uh, popular encounters that guests have had, as well as the most startling occurrences that staff members, both current and past, have come in contact with over the years that they've all been there. And the, uh, the intention is then to take what they've experienced, take what we can corroborate, and any new evidence that we can put together as well as the, um, the voiceovers for those interviews and incorporate that into the podcast. And yeah. as, that's, as that's largely the aim of the podcast is to give a voice and tell the story of hauntings that no one has yet stepped foot in.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's you know what honestly makes other than the content just being well done itself. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes your or y'all's platform so popular because it does introduce people, not just the casual person who likes listening or looking at spooky material. A lot of the people who enjoy your content are actually people that are looking to go out and investigate for their own uh, you know, material, entertainment or curiosity or what have you, which is is such a cool thing about y'all's platform. So Jules, as a somebody who considers himself a six, you know, I, I think you tip the scale into believing, but you're not whole hog in. I know that you have some thoughts about death the same way I do. And what does it actually mean? If if we go full into just, Hey, ghosts are real, you know, there's some form of an afterlife, but why are some stuck and yada, yada, yada. So you've heard Connor kind of describe the investigation they're going to do in this place, what would it take to get you from a six to a 10 in that investigation? And what are maybe some, as you know, a somewhat skeptic, what are some pitfalls or signs that you would maybe worry about in an investigation like that?
2: I mean, that's an excellent question. Um, a, a big thing I respect about like your platform, Connor, is that you go into it as an intellectual, which is where I'm coming from, where I'm weighing the options of, am I allowing myself to completely remove all connotations that I do or do not believe? I am mean, am I just going to allow myself to feel and experience? Um, so I appreciate that you do that because that's like my goal. That's what I want to do. So in an investigation for me to tip the scale past where I am now, I would have to get something that's so intelligent, so, you know, it doesn't even have to be an apparition to me, it can be a question of, you know, are you enjoying this conversation and they give like key, I don't know, answers that make sense to it or anything like that that just gives you the internal feeling of like, oh my God, I'm talking to somebody right now. This isn't just a radio giving something back. It would have to be something like that. And obviously, if I were to see something fly across the room like people have, you know, it's really going to be profound enough for me to evaluate how I feel. Um, I'm one of those people where even if I do strongly believe in something, if somebody presented me evidence showing the other side and why that is a more tangible reason, I'm going to go with it. So, if I was presented with proof that's concrete, you can't doubt it, you know, science can't explain it, it would it would definitely change my perspective completely.
1: And Connor, what are some of the equipment that um, you'll be leaning on in this investigation to see if there's paranormal activity?
4: Yeah, uh, for a baseline investigation like this, just trying to lend a degree of accuracy and uh, reality to a lot of what have to this point just been claims and allegations from people. It, it's not trying to be too fancy. It's bringing in things like uh, EMF meters, EVPs, REM pods, thermal imaging cameras. And before, you know, it's kind of like, you know, make sure you can walk before you run. We're not going to go in there and try and catch the holy grail of paranormal before we know the reality of what you're dealing with. We wanna just see, can we capture a voice? How, how much are they willing to interact with the living? Have, have, are they able to interact with the equipment that we bring in and are okay sitting down and answering questions? And, and you know, that's the real hope is that you know, the answer to that is yes. And that if we can yield good activity from that, then going down the road, we can start bringing in more intense pieces of equipment, such as the ovulus or theremin and stuff like that. And, you know, they go later on into the hours and you bring, you know numerous pieces of equipment to start like lining up three rem pods and this time seeing if you can just track actual walking motion lining up various evps and seeing if they can interact with just a single piece of technology and manipulate that technology rather than everything so the science of it really starts to come after we break the ground tonight but i guess that's the long way of saying honestly tonight it's the emf it is the rem pod it is the um The digital voice recorder, just going back to basics and seeing what we can start to unravel of what has been just one of Arizona's biggest supernatural mysteries for the longest time.
1: And I want to jump into Josh's history with the supernatural, but I am curious, Connor, I have one more question, because I I keep thinking about the last time you're on and just how wild that story was. What would it take for you to be like, F it, I'm out of here. Like this, this is the line and it has been crossed. I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch the office. I'm going to have a drink and go to sleep and pretend like this didn't happen. Like what, what is that line? Is it like being possessed? I mean, what, what is the ultimate line for you?
4: Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think possession would do it, but I think a lot less could do it as well. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the thing about kind of breaking ground in these locations that we're trying to introduce to the paranormal community is that you go in with no preconceived notions. There's no teams, there's no individuals to tell you what to expect and what their experience was like. So when you sit down, you're kind of just going off of what has been hearsay and stories up to this point, and you feel totally comfortable about it nine times out of 10. So that is to say, in the situations where shit hits the fan real fast, you're caught off guard tremendously. So let's, let's say, this evening, when I go to um, this former home slash bordello turned restaurant, if I go upstairs and I am just breaking out my gear talking to the spirits with nothing on just yet and the apparitions of the husband and wife appear dancing my shit's going back in my bag real fast i'll walk downstairs i'm gonna grab a beer on the house and i'm gonna head out (laughs) it's true it's all that's 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 what i love yeah
1: that's an honest response because i mean and i do believe people have different barometers of what they want and what they're capable of. Um, Brittany Crab has become a, a friend of the podcast and she is hopefully going to be co-hosting an episode with me next week, but like, she wants to be drugged down the hall by, a, uh, an apparition or demon. I'm just like, I can't, I could can never come back from that. Like, just lock me in the bin because I'm done. Like it's that's a wrap on Noah. Um, well, Jules, I'm, I'm curious because you are kind of one of the Queens of scream. Like, what's that line for you? Would it be the same thing to seeing apparitions? Pop up, or would it have to be a little more than that.
2: Let me tell you, I'm such a person that I enjoy intellectual conversations. So, and I love horror movies. So, you have to like suspend what you believe from horror movies. For me, what would seal the deal is if I had an intellectual conversation that lasted longer than a radio zip and throw. If I was able to have an intellectual conversation, if I was able to say, can you walk towards me and affect this thing and multiple devices were being affected and and that kind of thing, that's when I'd be like, all right, I believe you're right. This is it. I wouldn't even need to see it, honestly.
1: But if let's just say that does happen, you know, and you you see an apparition walking towards you, could you sit in that moment or would you have to leave the room?
2: I think I would if I'm answering, like, if I really, like, I'm not trying to sound cool, but if I think I would just be so profoundly struck with awe, I, your fight or flight would kick in and I would freeze. I would freeze. I wouldn't know what else to do. I would just take in the moment and then be like, did you say that? You know, like, that's what would happen.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I would, I would probably wet my pants and yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Like I, will I pee my pants? I don't know, but I think I would freeze and I would just be like, whatever you have to do, do it
3: now, you know,
4: yeah. <laughs>
2: take all my money and
1: please leave. Yeah, yeah. Please. it's okay. Yeah. Well, Josh, so you did mention that you've had a history with the paranormal. And obviously, you're pretty invested in this world at this point, which is somebody who myself wasn't a couple of years ago. And now it's a daily activity, whether I'm getting people on the podcast or, or whatever, doing my all own right. research. What were some of the moments that you knew like, okay, this is something I want to dedicate a portion of my life to and being around. I mean, what really sold you on the paranormal?
3: Yeah, I mean, much like a lot of people that I've talked with that have a shared interest in this, uh, it all stems from a childhood experience. And much like Connor, I know you've had childhood experiences. um, That It all started from a young age for me. And it, it was like, you quite you weren't sure what you were looking at uh because you see these things in movies and tv and it's like okay well this is more real than that so you can't exactly tell your parents that you saw a shadow figure standing outside your bedroom Uh, and they'll say it's a bad dream you're making things up so you go to in my case the card catalog in your public library and you search for the only book about ghosts that they have in the library and you start to research it and that's what's been something that i've carried through until now is that i just I've always been dedicated to the research and figuring this out because there's all you're
1: going to say you've carried that book from the library with you. <laughs> I, know. So that, I, like, I That's amazing. I was, what is it called? <laughs>
3: um, but no, yeah, it was, it was looking at that and, you know, you know, hiding it from the teachers. Cause it's like, you know, you, the teachers see you reading a book about ghosts. They call your mom. She starts freaking out. It's, it was just from a very young age, seeing these things and realizing that, okay, this isn't normal. Um, let's figure out what's going on.
1: And you said you were touched by a ghost. I'm guessing you weren't making pottery. So what, what was the event that took place there?
3: Um, so that was one of my first investigations. Uh, I put together a, a paranormal research team at the uh, UW Oshkosh, where I went here in Wisconsin. And one of our first investigations was in a, a secondhand store um, near Madison, which used to be actually a brothel, uh, believe it or not. Uh, those were quite common back in the day. Um, but now it was an antique store, which uh, I'm sure Connor, you know, antique stores can be very active because there's such a collection of items from a bunch of different people that may have passed and now are latched onto that item. Anywho, um, we were there and it was like two or 3 AM, you know, the perfect witching hour. And there was about six of us, probably five to six feet apart around this huge table. And I say, uh, stupidly, let's turn all our flashlights off and see what happens. And everyone's still, and uh, it's maybe a minute, minute and a half, and all of a sudden I just feel this arm or this hand go down my shoulder, down my arm, and up to my thigh, and it squeezes. And I'm just like, no, nope, flashlight's back on, no effing way, I'm not getting groped by a ghost. Um, but there was no possible chance that there would have been anybody that could have moved without making noise and been that close to me.
1: Plus, who would do and, that? And that, I, mean, I
2: mean, it's also very ballsy to touch yeah. you. <laughs> well, and, and, you know,
3: we're serious investigators. Sure, we were college kids. We were 21 years old, but we were serious about it. And I was like, there's no way somebody would have played a, a prank like that. And the fact that it felt like almost like it was a, a small child's hand mm. um, really started to back up some of the stories we heard about the location, some of the EDPs we had been getting. Uh, it really started to prove that perhaps there really was a little girl trapped in this basement. Now, the story behind that was that she was murdered by an estranged uh, father and uh, a stepfather and then um, buried in the basement and poured over concrete. So she was literally trapped there and there was no way they were going to be able to dig up her body. So most of the experiences we had that night um, started to line up with per- perhaps this little girl was trapped there after death.
1: In, in your mind's eye, can you still revisit that moment? Can you still feel that interaction? I mean, is that, or has it kind of moved on from you?
3: Well, you know, much like uh, the experiences you have in college, um, parties, uh, you know, people that you date, friends, classes, it's one of those experiences I can bring up with every single person in that group that was there that night. And they, we can tell these stories about things that we experienced on a new level that night. It was like stepping into a funhouse because we were at our first investigation and everything in the book was happening. Our names were being said, we were being touched. We were having intelligent spirits speak with us through different devices, full body apparitions. It was like, shit, is every investigation like this? Mm. And I mean, Connor knows like, you can go to a place for eight hours and experience absolutely nothing. And we were there for maybe five, six hours and had every single thing you could ever experience happen in one night.
1: This episode of the Real Hauntings, Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey everyone, it's Noah Daniels and I'm here to talk to you again about Wild Grain. Our last shipment of Wild Grain was so good that my four-year-old cannot stop asking for more of that awesome bread with dinner. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm right there with him. So you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries.
0: Or go to racketon.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
2: Mm. It lit up like a Christmas tree, I like to say. right. right. The That's what it, you know A bunch of
3: young college kids, it was like, holy shit, this is Christmas.
1: And since that time, I mean, is that still probably one of the most extreme haunts you've been on?
3: Um, I would say that's top three. Uh, That is a location that I'm trying to get back into. Um, The location has changed hands. Uh, The new owners are very open to investigations. So just kind of letting them break in. Um, There was a place we were at in Missouri, where we were kind of talking about the, the moment where you're like, Nope, I'm out of here. We had something happen that night where we closed up shop and left because it was too intense for us. What was Um, that? Uh, so that was, um, we were in this old military hospital, and we were speaking through a ghost box, um, just kind of getting the basic questions out of the way, like, and the, the series of questions that occurred was, are you a man? It clearly said no. We said, are you a woman? It said no. And then, okay, we're like, what What are you? What could we possibly be talking to? And it, the radio kind of shut off it almost sounded like it was trying to like really push something through. And then it said demon. And so I said, everyone, you know, their eyes lit up and I said, everyone heard that. Right. And they're like, yes. Okay. We're leaving. Good night. Well, yeah, that was, that was really intense. And that's a location that we actually got to our college group got there before all the big TV shows did. Um, so that was kind of like our, our shining moment, uh, which was pretty cool. So do
1: you believe, cause this is something that's been a bit of, a controversy, not a controversy, But I mean, I just heard a lot of different opinions from different guests. Do you believe in demons? I mean, or do you think there's bad spirits? What's kind of your thought process on that?
3: Much like I believe in fate, um, I don't think coincidences exist. Um, I think that there are beings besides humans. Um, you know, there there are guardian angels which aren't people. They're not spirits. It's the same thing goes the other way with demons. That's something that never walked the earth that doesn't exist in human form. Um, yeah, I certainly believe there's a, a, you know, a gradient between heaven and hell and evil and good. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there are there in through my experiences, I can certainly say that there are things that are beyond human evil that exist.
1: Yeah. And Jules, I pose that same question for you. Where Where do you fall on that?
2: You forget that I am an active practitioner for the last decade, um, and I'm raised in a family who are uh, Celtic pagans. They believe in deities. They believe in things that aren't Christian. Um, so, am I open to accepting that these things might be real? And am I going to be respectful and always very cautious when I'm talking about and dealing with these things? Yes. Um, but again, if someone came to me and said these are not real, here's the proof as to why, and this is why it's X, Y, Z, I'm going to believe it. But to err on the side of caution, what he's saying, I would believe if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, you're right, absolutely. Why would there not be things beyond our human comprehension, you know? So I definitely am inclined to believe
1: that. And and so you believe that there can be um, something of, you know, I, I guess the way I would describe it, like pure evil in the supernatural form?
2: I believe that if you can conceive it and it is real to believe into other people, that it can be real, In people's lives. Um, I think that it can be manifest. You know, people believe in egregores. If you put enough energy and intent into something, it could manifest. I and I don't know how to explain that, but I believe people when they tell me these stories. So I would rather believe the person is being honest with me than try to disprove them. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And and Connor, have you encountered any demonic beings other than that thing that would brush your hair uh when you would go to sleep at night?
4: (laughs) Oh, God knows what that was. (laughs) Um yeah I'm always very hesitant to say yeah i'm I'm on a very similar mental wavelength here as Jules and Josh. I believe in it. I think there's that strong separation between things that were ever living flesh and blood and those that have just been energy entities of the universe and the cosmos you know who who's to say where they originated um, yeah I don't know if I've ever seen one. There there's reason to suspect that I have in the past. There's been some suspicious activity, but I would need some damning evidence for me to concrete say it it was this. Yeah, no, I may I may have mentioned it last time around. I think that's um a lot of the issue in properly identifying them them these days. Just Too many people in this field want to believe that they're dealing with the most dangerous entity possible whenever they step foot in the dark room. So if anything does something that makes them uncomfortable, which is, you know, 99 things out of 100 for paranormal activity, they're just going to say it's a demon. Like, it felt evil and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's usually not. And even when they're doing bad things, you know, humans are terrible people in and of themselves. So, you know, it's it's more often than not probably just a human. So I I definitely believe in it, whether or not we've crossed paths as of yet, who's to say?
1: Yeah, I I find myself the thing I have been noticing that I believe in more the older I get, which is not something that I'm necessarily proud of is um, almost superstition or signs of things. Uh, You know, whether like I have a tattoo of a cardinal. And it's uh, always just been like kind of a good fortune thing for me. And then like one day I saw a dead Cardinal as I was uh, out exercising, I went for a jog and then like literally 15 minutes after that, I got like some really bad news or, or bad news from my doctor on the phone. And I was just like, what the fuck? And then, you know, and then that, it's probably happenstance. I don't know, but it does, you know, I'm just a human. And and when things happen, and the more I notice correlation with other things, my wife who was very skeptical as like, you're silly, that's not a thing. But, but my brain has started to pick up on things like that more and more. And uh, especially with like premonitions and things like that, to the point where I'll have bad thoughts come in and I just have to tell myself like, that's not going to happen. That's not real because I have this weird belief that if I accept it, uh, like some of the premonition stuff that has come true, that if I'm just like, yep, that's it, this is you know the bad thing, then that bad thing will take place. So I don't know. I think part of that is probably just getting older and doing like 120 plus episodes of this podcast is also probably... (laughs) informed my belief a little bit but i I don't know if y'all have um, experienced those same things well josh you mentioned top three so i want to know what your and maybe you've already explained it but i want to know what your number one is on that list oh god Um, or did you just throw out a number because you know you've been on a bunch of
5: (laughs) no
3: there's it's really hard to say what is number one um i know this isn't a cryptid's podcast but i've had an experience with a bigfoot locally which might be absolutely crazy about that you just
4: drop Um, that on (laughs) Uh,
3: us rewind
1: okay so talk about cryptids (laughs) or no
3: i uh, i uh, I don't know about (laughs) that
1: yeah no i mean i consider aliens and all that stuff part of the paranormal I I, we have a very yeah supernatural we we have a very loose definition for content here on the podcast
2: the lines (laughs) i'm not
1: sure um i i do have another one that that
3: happened recently that's really been intriguing and it's put me down a a rabbit hole
1: well i want to hear about bigfoot because that's you know the my i'm from the south so the the biggest thing i know about bigfoot is a big sign on the side of the road that's like come into this museum and see an actual bigfoot you know like that's i don't I so, saying, yes. yeah i'm just going
3: to look i'm going to look this up because this it was a very interesting time period um so i'm nope. from southern wisconsin and this took back in place in 2006 um and now there was a uptick in sightings this isn't an area known for bigfoot sightings but there was numerous articles that came out about this is during hunting season about deer being stolen off the back of pickup trucks, and there's claw marks in the back of the pickup. So is it you know, it starts to joke, you know, as I'm looking at articles right now that is there a Bigfoot roaming around Holy Hill, which is uh, a very large church out near me. So whatever, I don't, I don't care. I like ghosts, you know, I don't like Bigfoots. <laughs> um, so it must have been uh, early November, and I was out hunting. Uh, I was walking along a trail and it kind of set the scene for you. The trail in front of me was completely empty. And off to my left, there was a row of trees and probably five feet to left of that there was a small, I guess there was a small pathway that that was uh, carved out by the the Ice Age trail. That's when the, you know, way back when when that happened. So there was this nice little like path up in the woods, and walking along and all of a sudden I I hear this grunt, you know, kind of like a deer would make if you're familiar with here um but then i smelled this absolutely horrid smell it was like somebody had never taken a bath in an 80 year life it was the worst thing i've ever smelled and i look and there is this mass of brown fur eight feet tall and i'm not even over exaggerating it was huge and there was this like i remember this so vividly there was this green neon green like underwear almost it was like it taken like a safety vest and tied it around his waist or made some sort of primitive underwear and this thing was running faster than a track star it was just taking off through the woods and i'm like hmm that was really weird you know not really thinking too much about it but the number one thing that i noticed is that when this thing ran off there was no white tail that popped up. Up here, we have white tail deer, when those things get spooked, and they run off their tail pops up, and you can clearly see a white tail. Now, I don't think too much about it, whatever, I'm in high school. And uh, about two days later, my dad tells me a very similar story. Um, He says he smelled it, he heard it, and then he saw this just giant mass of fur running through the woods. And there was no white tail that popped up. Green underwear, or? It was just kind of like one of those. This can't be a coincidence type of moment. Sure. Um, and as I'm looking over some of these articles from the time period, they're mentioning a seven foot tall creature uh, that they saw just running through the woods. So it was not just my story. It wasn't just my dad's story. There is a collection of other stories that took place in the same exact area uh, within two or three weeks of each other
2: how bizarre yeah. i mean really weird. Like, That it's is really bizarre. Weird.
1: <laughs> this is really gonna date me but i'm picturing quail man uh running through oh, the woods. <laughs> quail man from doug yeah
3: yes. <laughs> oh i oh, didn't dig deep into that one when he had the under uh the belt on his head right yeah
1: yeah, yeah. So, Connor, this is your podcasting partner. Do you also share beliefs in Bigfoot or where do you fall on Bigfootery?
4: On Bigfootery. Bigfootery. Big <laughs> big Coined right here. But, uh, you know, I wish I had a similar cryptid story to share. I grew up in um, southwest Ohio. Out there, we know him as the Ohio Grassman. Supposedly, he just has a lot longer fur than his typical of a lot of Bigfoot encounters around the US. You know, I never heard stories about him. I never really had any personal encounters. I be- I'm i almost hesitant to say I believe. I believe in him. I think he's just one of those creatures who's been so just storied and fabled and, and just moneyed off of and turned into all these different ventures. It's almost like Mothman or the Loch Ness Monster for me. It's like, I believe aspects of it, like what the full extent of the truth is, I don't know. Like, I, I think the biggest thing to me right now is trying to just get my head around uh, one of the newest somewhat debates of Bigfoot being an interdimensional being—that's just—that's
2: too much for me. That's where it jumps <laughs> that's over like line.
1: That's it the line. Now time traveling. <laughs> How
4: yeah. do deal with that. I mean, neon
1: green underwear <laughs> shirt. time known. <laughs> it's like a Wookie that's come to save us, but we can't speak its language, and you know, nice. some rednecks just gonna shoot it and then you know stuff it and put it in his his lounge. Yeah, right? It. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I I can't wrap my head around so much of it. I'm a huge cryptid spam. You know, I'm a very sensible, logical individual. uh, But when it comes to cryptids, even more so than paranormal, you don't have to have any proof. If you just give me a story, my heart and soul is in it with you, (laughs) you (laughs) knowing it's fake.
1: This goes out to all of you. What do you you know what the definition of a cryptid is or, or where that comes from?
4: Its origins, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I would imagine if I had to spitball something, um, a creature of mythological origin, yep. I would say, simply.
2: I think also the study of it is called cryptozoology. So there's mm, people who right. study mythological creatures. Right. I, I think it's probably like folklore and, and mythological creatures mixed into one category, if I had to assume.
1: So then aliens wouldn't fall into that category, right? I think
2: so. I don't think no. so, because they are plant like other planetary, whereas mm. cryptozoology is our planet, what has evolved from our planet, if I had to assume.
1: Yeah, growing up in the South, we didn't really have, I guess, cryptid things that people would talk about, at least where I was, but aliens was, you know, mm-hmm. always a, topic. A, a big, <laughs> oh a big debate. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't didn't know we were going to get to Bigfoot tonight, so I feel like we've really done our job. Uh, we <laughs> covered the the gamut of everything. Jules, did you have any additional questions for Connor and Josh? I know we're running up on our hour here.
2: No, I, I'm just, I'm, it's really nice to hear that there's other people who are taking this from an intellectual standpoint, as opposed to I'm going to hunt ghosts. You know, I, I think the purpose of us doing this is to kind of find answers, not just for ourselves, but for others to bring peace to others in some way. So it's just nice knowing that there are, what are we, colleagues at this point, but you know what I mean? Like, it's right. it's nice that other people in the field are doing something intellectually with compassion. So.
1: Angels, right. I'm curious, is there anything in the Haunted Museum y'all have, like one item that you would like to tell Connor and Josh about that may pique their interest uh, about the full display? Um... Sure.
2: Um, let's see.
1: Not to put you on Shark Tank. I was just curious.
2: No, it's okay. The first item that comes to mind, okay, is a story and it was given to us for free. It is a picture of a gentleman. Calvin will not tell me his name in case the name comes over. So I'm not like listening for it, obviously, but it is a, a tin type photo of a gentleman about this big um, and he's under a glass container, okay, because when he's off or away from the container... He causes havoc in people's homes. We've had two stories of people who are changed hands where these, this picture of this man has ruined these people's lives. And so we've never taken the glass off, obviously, to see what would happen. Um, but we have a lot of items like that where people are like, I don't want you to pay me money. I just want to get rid of it. Just whatever. And we've got stuff like that now. And who knows what, what could really happen? But um, so that's one interesting one for sure. Let me
3: check out your museum. Is this on social media at all?
2: It is on social media. So unfortunately, my partner restarted his social media account because he wants to curate the page better to show everybody. Um, But if you look at the occult collector, that's who he is. He posts a lot of stuff from his museum. Um, The goal is to honestly get people and to just come and do private tours eventually like you know show some items and then you can come to the experience but um yeah he's the occult collector i would check him out if anything piques your interest please he's a well of information would love to talk to you about it has your guys's
4: museum ever been investigated properly beyond just yourselves or do you guys do that yourselves pretty extensively pretty extensively
2: you know, obviously we have Becky, who is a very experienced paranormal investigator. We've never had anyone else come in because we just, it, you know, COVID happened and everything. And we haven't had a chance to really offer it to anybody. But we've we've had experiences down there enough for me to be like, if something else happens, I'll believe. You know what I mean? So we're always open to people coming and just seeing and doing whatever in all hours of the night. Because we would like to know. And he's a skeptic and he wants he wants answers. So...
1: I love that that's that's such an interesting part of your life puzzle that your partner oh, has this intense Museum of, of like, alleged haunting things, and he's a skeptic. <laughs> he's so skeptic.
2: And I'm like, babe, one day the walls will bleed. Like, just oh give us time, you know. <laughs>
1: Turn on the faucet, <laughs> and it's just black yeah, blue exactly. goo coming. Yeah, give it a uh, chance. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Okay. uh What? I mean, that was a super uh, professional plug and a great handoff by Josh. So uh kudos oh, to yeah, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> looking at one
3: of the the pictures here, but it looks like you kind of put the museum uh, together. And I mean it looks better than some museums I've been to oh
2: yeah uh, I, not to toot our
3: own very well done I'm really impressed our,
2: me and my partner both have OCD okay so that's okay <laughs> the so that's good, that's good everything for everything a museum like that. yeah.
1: <laughs> that's your haunting
2: but yes I haunt the basement by cleaning it every day so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um Josh and Connor before we get out of here I would love for our audience to learn more about your podcast I think it's Really cool. And something, look, if you are listening to this podcast, don't stop listening to it, but definitely go and check out uh, Connor and Josh, they do some world class, um, haunted investigations. And um, not only is it entertaining, but you might learn something about a place that you didn't know about before. So yeah, can you guys tell us a little more about that?
4: Yeah, it's called The Haunted Historian Podcast. I know, very inspired. (laughs) (laughs) named right after the page. Um, Similar to the page, it works to uh, document the stories and the histories and the hauntings behind lesser known locations in the U.S. Uh, Eventually, the plan is globally as well. Uh, Every story tracks an experience from uh, our team having done one of the first investigations, if not the first investigation inside of the venue. Uh, We have on guests pretty often. This past week we had on Brandon Alvis and they share uh, their experiences at locations that they've investigated for the very first time to kind of share firsthand eyewitness accounts with the audience uh, as well as a lot of their upcoming projects. So truly the stories, the hauntings are things that you won't hear anybody anywhere else from anybody else because nobody else has ever experienced it. So that's really the aim of the show. You know, we're on all major podcast platforms and the Haunted Historian Instagram and Facebook will link you there. So, you know, give it a listen, see if it's, uh, see if it's matches your vibe.
1: Josh, do you have a a side podcast where you talk about Bigfoot and his underwear (laughs) fetish? Or is that- No, I might. Um,
2: (laughs) You should, I would be very fascinated. (laughs)
3: Yeah, you something else to think about and,
2: yeah. and, and
3: see if there's an interest in that and if I can uh, build... Oh, I'm sure stuff. there's some Bigfoot oh, fanfiction there.
1: lovers out there that uh, want to know all about over. how I got that underwear.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll be selling uh, stinky pairs of underwear to people with a Bigfoot fetish. <laughs> so with
1: that, I'm Noah Daniels, I'm Jules Nolan,
3: I'm Connor Gossel, and I'm Josh Hughes.